do please be seated. And turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 17 this morning. Again, in your church Bibles, that's 763 and 64. Uh, It's also in your service sheets this morning, again, for your convenience. Uh, Matthew 9, we've been going through Matthew's Gospel. We've finished uh, uh, an extended section of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And now we're looking at sort of what's happened after that. And there's uh, two chapters, 8 and 9, where we see a series of of ten miracles uh, being done with some other sort of events that happen around those, those ten miracles. Uh, and so this is God's word for Matthew 9, beginning in verse 1. I'll be reading through verse 17 this morning. And this is God's word. Getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclined with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, he said, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn? as long as the bridegroom is is with them. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskin. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forevermore. Can we take Jesus seriously if dot dot dot, fill in the blank. You can fill in the blank with pretty much anything you want. In our modern day we would uh, maybe fill in the blank with something like, can we can we take Jesus seriously if he if he doesn't affirm all the things that I believe? Can we take Jesus seriously if he lived such a long time ago and I personally can't be sure he didn't say the things that he didn't said? Can we take Jesus seriously if fill in the blank? This is what's going on in our passage this morning. You actually have uh, three different groups of people observing Jesus. And each one is, is filling in the blank based on their, their own value system. They're, they're putting forward the barriers that they personally feel to trusting in Jesus. 
And I want to suggest that, that this isn't uh, actually a, a, a completely bad thing. We often want to approach people like, like the scribes and the Pharisees that we see in this passage as, as the bad guys. The guys who are there to, to antagonize Jesus. And at times they are. But, but I think that, that we see here this morning is, is actually, in some ways, honest struggles. That come from someone stepping into our world and challenging our most deeply held beliefs. There are, are real questions of conscience that come up for the people we meet in our passage this morning. These were serious issues they were wrestling with in their day and time. What I hope we see is, is that Jesus in each case actually takes their concerns seriously and he has an answer for them. What Jesus understands about us is, is sometimes we have real issues of conscience, don't we? Real issues that we, we struggle with individually and as a, and as a society that, that are actually much, much deeper issues than we like to think. They're actually issues of our, of our own hearts, aren't they? Things like feeling guilt or shame or fear. And, and, and uh, they're, they're issues of the heart that Jesus actually speaks to. We all know uh, what our conscience is, right? We all, we've all, we all understand the conscience, I think. It's, it's what Jiminy Cricket, you know, from Disney, calls that thing, that, that, that still small voice that people won't listen to. You know, it's, it's that inner sense of right and wrong. Uh, Christians acknowledge it, actually. Uh, our confessions talk about it and how actually we need to let Jesus become the Lord of, of our conscience. And when we do, we begin to experience real gospel freedom. And that's what I want us to see this morning in, in three points, or, or, or really three freedoms that, that Jesus offers us. Uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus offers us fr first freedom from sin, second, freedom from isolationism, and third, freedom from religiosity. So three freedoms. First, first, Jesus offers us freedom from sin, doesn't he? Another way of saying this is Jesus offers freedom from guilt. In many ways, uh, this is the most shocking and most dramatic freedom that Jesus offers us this morning. Matthew, I think, has, has been building to this moment, actually, over the last few weeks. We've heard Jesus teach in, in the Sermon on the Mount. We've seen him uh, heal. We've seen him calm storms. We've seen him cast out demons. So what's left? Well, forgiving sins is the ultimate healing, isn't it? The ultimate cause of all sin, of, of all diseases, is sin. When we look at the, the whole of Scripture, that's what, we, that's what we see, isn't it? And while Jesus says that, that there isn't a, a, a necessarily a one-to-one -one correlation between a particular sin and, and a particular disease, like, for example, if, if you commit a certain sin, then you aren't, automatically stricken with blindness even though that might not be the case there is a clear correlation between the curse of sin and disease and we see that here in this scene don't we a paralyzed man is brought to Jesus with by his friends Matthew is, is short on details here but we know from from Mark's account of the same scene that that in fact these friends of this paralyzed man were so desperate to get him to Jesus. They so wanted to get him to Jesus because they were so certain that Jesus could, could make him well that they, they carry their friend up to the roof of the house where Jesus is staying. 
because they couldn't get through the crowds to see him. And then they do something that that's, we would consider to be antisocial behavior, wouldn't we? They, they pull back and peel back the top of the roof. And then they, they lower the man down on the stretcher using ropes just to get him to Jesus. If Jesus is just another teacher, if he's just another, another guru, if he's just another uh, acupuncturist offering us some kind of, of treatment for illness and disease, then, then these actions are, are completely mental, aren't they? But these men are earnest in their belief. What, is, what does Jesus do? Verse 2. When he sees the faith of these men, he says to the paralytic, your, your sins are forgiven. Your guilt has been taken away. Which when you're, when you're paralyzed, when you can't move, uh, and you're looking for healing, that probably sounded a bit anticlimactic, didn't it? Which begs the question, what are you, what are you coming to Jesus for? Do you want him to make you well? Or do you want him to make you really and truly well? Do you want him to get to the heart of your disease? Do you want him to take away your, your guilt and to forgive your sins? See, most people in our world today would, would scoff at this, wouldn't they? A man comes to Jesus looking for help, looking for healing, and all Jesus offers him is, is a warm thought. Oh, that's a, that's a nice thought. Your sins are forgiven. But it doesn't really do anything for me because I don't think I've done anything. I don't think I've done any sins. See, we don't take the connection between our sin and, and all the other problems of our world seriously. We want to ask, can we take Jesus seriously if all he does is all declare sins forgiven. But for a certain group of people there that day, this, this was actually offensive. This was the worst possible thing Jesus could say. The, the scribes were there, and you remember the scribes, they're, they're the spiritual leaders, the teachers of the law, the teachers of the Old Testament scripture. In other words, this would be like, like me standing there, skeptical and asking, can we take Jesus seriously if he claims to forgive sins? See, this was blasphemy to them. Because the only person who could forgive sins would be God himself. And that's, that's the kicker, actually. Jesus is, is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be God here. He doesn't just come right out and say it in the way that, that we would want him to in our, our sort of modern secular minds, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. That's the headline. You know, when your friends say silly things to you like, all Jesus did was teach. He was a great teacher. He never claimed to be God. You ask him, then why did he forgive sins? And why did that upset the people who knew that only God could forgive sins? See, Jesus claims here to be God. And everyone gathered there that day, and especially these religious teachers recognized what he was claiming in this statement. They understood exactly what he was saying. This this was, to put it frankly, uh, a stinker-clinching moment for everyone there. You know, you see this, imagine the scene, you see these guys ripping up uh, the roof. And everyone there's thinking, oh, the indignity of it all. Oh, the impertinence of youth these days. Then you see them uh, lowering a, a, a paralyzed man down on a stretcher. And everyone there in their minds is going, what's this? Won't you stop this nonsense right, right now? Cease and desist, man. And Jesus then looks at him and says, your, your sins are forgiven. And those are the words that actually silence the whole room. 
you can hear a pin drop. Because Jesus is claiming to be God, and, and, and if he's not, then he's blaspheming. And he needs to be dragged out and stoned. No one can believe it. Matthew literally says in verse 4, everyone is, is thinking it, particularly the scribes, but they're, they're all just thinking it. This man is blaspheming. Can we take Jesus seriously if he claims to forgive sins? Well, Jesus has an answer, doesn't he? In verses 4 through 6, it says this, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Uh, there was an American uh, football player back in the 60s, maybe the 70s, and, and sorry to use an American football reference, but I don't have enough British sports references yet. But uh, this, this American football player was accused of, of being arrogant. And his response was, it ain't bragging if you can do it. And Jesus says here, doesn't he, it, it ain't blasphemy if you can do it. And just to show you I can do it. I'll do the seemingly harder thing and heal this man. And what happens? The man gets up and he goes home. It's astounding, isn't it? At the very least, it, it shuts the scribes up and everyone there sees, sees what happens. They, they glorify God for the healing that happened that day. Can we take Jesus seriously if all he does is forgive sins? If you, want, if you want true freedom from your guilt and true healing from the curse of sin, Matthew says you must take him seriously. Now the second freedom we see this morning is, is that Jesus offers us freedom from isolationism. Again, another way of saying this is Jesus offers us freedom from shame. If being uh, free from sin wasn't enough, Matthew shows us uh, that what, what it looks like to live with a clean conscience free from shame. He, he recounts his own calling by Jesus. Where did Jesus find Matthew? Well, he found him sitting at a tax collector's booth. Similar to when he, he found Peter and Andrew and James and John preparing to go fishing, he, he calls Matthew out of his secular workplace, simply telling him, follow me. And along comes Matthew, following him. Now, there's a big difference between uh, Matthew and these other four disciples that we've, we've previously heard called. Fishing was an honorable vocation. It might have been uh, a bit common, but it was at least honorable. Matthew, on the other hand, was a tax collector. And that was not an honorable profession by Jewish standards. And not just because the Jews were, were being a bit uh, American about paying taxes. Tax collectors in Jesus' day were collecting taxes for the Roman government. They were serving and occupying military force by collecting taxes from the local population. They were, in essence, traitors to their people. And on top of that, the, the common practice amongst tax collectors was to overcharge and enrich themselves. I guess if you're, if you're going to be a traitor, you might as well do it right. So this is why tax collectors are, are regular, regularly referred to synonymously with sinners, like we have here in verse 11. Jesus does something remarkable in that he not only calls Matthew, but he also 
goes home and dines with Matthew and all his closest friends. And Jesus has, has his disciples there with him. And they're, they're all sitting with Matthew and all his tax collector and sinner friends. And then we meet the second group of people wondering if they can take Jesus seriously. And they're asking, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Or in other words, can we take Jesus seriously if he eats with people like this? If, if we find him among the tax collectors and sinners? If he dines with shameful people? I think this, this could be an honest question, actually, by the Pharisees. Occasionally they will ask an honest question. Not all of them were, were as hostile to Jesus as, as we often think. All, uh, and Jesus does engage with them here and in other places. I think it's an honest question because they were, they were wanting to keep the law of God. In so many places in the Levitical Old Testament law, you see where if, if someone was unclean, if they had um, either, either through sin or, or they had broken uh, the ceremonial law or they'd come in contact with something that was unclean, they, were, they had to go outside of the camp. You were to avoid the unclean person. And we talked about this a bit in a different context a few weeks ago when we, when we were looking at uh, the, the leper that Jesus cleansed. No one would touch the leper, would they? Much less dine with him. You see, the Pharisees look at this group eating with Jesus and they go, wait a second, these are, these are spiritually unclean people. They're spiritual lepers. If he is who he says he is, then why is he dining with them? Shouldn't he be avoiding them? And Jesus has an answer, doesn't he? It's an answer from both logic as well as scripture in verses 12 through 13. He says this, those, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus sets both the, the example as well as explains the command that his followers are to show mercy and grace. That if you're his follower, if your sins are forgiven, if, you're, if your conscience is, is cleansed, then you're free from, from shame and you're free from, from isolationism, like the, the, the isolationism of the Pharisees. And that means that, that you can associate with all sorts of people. You can show and receive hospitality from them. And if they're sick and if they're in sin, if they're sad and, and, and ashamed, then you can offer them the healing of the great physician, Jesus, who can forgive even sins. I think it's important that we understand exactly what we're talking about here this morning. Let's be really clear about what Jesus is doing and saying here and what he's calling us to. What he isn't saying is, is be non-judgmental and affirming. This thing that, that so many people say about Jesus. Jesus just loved everyone. He never judged anybody. He was non-judgmental. He, he would have been affirming. Well, in a sense, he did show love to everyone, didn't he? He did show love to everyone. But he did it by calling them out of sinfulness. Did you notice that about Matthew? Matthew's a really good example. Jesus didn't go to Matthew and see him sitting at the tax collector's booth and say, Matthew, you stay right there because I love you just the way that you are. Are you, are you cheating over, uh, your, your fellow Jews? That's okay. You just be your authentic self. You be you. And I'll love you anyway. 
No, Jesus went to, to Matthew and he said, follow me. He says, get, get up and, and, and leave behind this, this sinful vocation that, that you're doing and, and follow me. And, and Matthew does. You see, there's some vocations we just can't do if we're going to follow Jesus. And there are, are plenty of recreations that we just can't do if we're going to follow Jesus. That's a simple, a simple fact of being a follower of Jesus. But what that doesn't mean is that we have to avoid everyone who's not a believer. That doesn't mean that we have to hold everybody uh, in the world to the same standard that Christ calls us to live by. In fact, it means just the opposite. We're to, to look for opportunities to engage and befriend our neighbors. Because that's, that's actually the heart of the gospel. And that's near the heart of Christ and the heart of God. The, to love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. I hope you notice that, that Jesus wasn't as strong in his rebuke of the Pharisees as he was of the scribes earlier. The scribes, he accused them of thinking evil. With the Pharisees, he simply gives an explanation, doesn't he? He isn't eating with these people because he condones the things that they've done. Rather, he does it to reveal the heart of God towards sinners like them and sinners like you and I. He does it to show mercy the, the mercy and love of God to those who've, who've wandered far from him. And he challenges and calls the Pharisees to do the same. He doesn't, he doesn't call them to participate in sin. Rather, he says, if you've been healed from your sin by, by the, the great physician, if you've set aside your, your shame, then you've been set free from your isolationism. Folks, if you've been freed from your sin... And if you're in Christ and your sins have been forgiven, then, then he doesn't want you to spend all your time only with, with other Christians. And he, he doesn't want you hiding in your flat, just reading your Bible and avoiding people you might consider sinners or beyond help. Jesus actually frees us to be good neighbors. He calls us to show hospitality to, to others. Jesus frees us to invite people over for meals and to show them mercy and grace and hospitality because that's what we ourselves have experienced at the hands of Jesus. And when we were, when we were in our sin and shame, Jesus came down to us, didn't he? And he took on our flesh and he dwelt among us. And we see that in, in who he chose to spend his time with and dine with. That's the second thing. The third, I'll try to be a little bit brief on this point, but uh, the third and final freedom we see this morning is Jesus offers us freedom from religiosity. Uh, another way of saying it, again, is Jesus offers us freedom from fear, from having to do these religious acts out of a, a fear and desire to appease God. A, a, a third group of people come to Jesus with a concern, and this group uh, are the, the followers of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and the one sent to prepare the way for Jesus. He's someone that we know from previous sermons. He's a good guy. His followers would have been uh, uh, you know, good, good people, godly people. It was, they were probably the friendliest group that we've met this morning. But they still have a question on their minds, don't they? They're asking, can we take Jesus seriously if his followers don't fast? And they ask Jesus, Jesus, why, why does everyone... But your followers, why, why do everyone but your followers fast? 
You know, we have to fast. The Pharisees have to fast. But your disciples don't fast. And that, that seems weird. Because fasting is a really spiritual thing to do. Fasting was and still is an important uh, religious practice in many faiths. Even, even most faiths throughout the world do, will, will practice some form of fasting. April actually marks the start of, of uh, the month of Ramadan for Muslims this year. And the Muslims, they, they take fasting very, very seriously. But today, fasting is, has even become a health trend, hasn't it? Some of you may fast for, for religious reasons or, or health reasons. Uh, we invite everyone to, to participate in a day of fasting from time to time as a church, a day of fasting and prayer. We have reasons for doing that that I won't get into this morning. But fasting is, is a, an important thing. Jesus actually doesn't talk very much about fasting. And Jesus' disciples themselves didn't fast. So can Jesus really be considered a serious religious leader if his followers don't participate in this important religious rite? Well, Jesus says yes. And he says yes for, for two reasons. One is because when he is present, there's, there's reason to celebrate it in there, not to mourn or fear. Jesus says if his disciples were fasting in, in his presence, then it would be like, like going to a, a wedding and not eating anything and not joining in the celebration. There's no kind of good way for me to illustrate this without probably offending someone. So just so you know, I'm, I've carefully selected the group I wish to offend this morning. And if you're part of this group, I do apologize. Uh, that's a bit of a trigger warning. But, but Jesus is saying here, this is like if a vegetarian went to a Brazilian barbecue and then was shocked that all that there was to eat there was meat. So they just don't eat anything. You know, it, it, it's rude, isn't it? Go somewhere and, and then complain about what's, what's on offer. Jesus is saying, it's, it's a celebration. I'm here. He's saying your, your religious practice becomes religiosity when the, the things you do blind you to the person you've been waiting your whole life for. Jesus came to free us from all these things. We stress about, about doing for God by, by uh, explaining that he is here and he's preparing something new and something better. And that's freedom from these ceremonies and practices that, that people, were, uh, people thought they had to do to make themselves right with God. He says people can fast when he's ascended or not. They're free in Christ from religiosity. And that's great news for us, isn't it? That's great news, especially this time of year. You know, all you people who, who stopped eating chocolate for Lent. She says, you can go get a, get a huge Cadbury bar and just enjoy. It's okay. Did you give up social media for Lent? That's probably a good one. You should probably just make that permanent. Social media is not that great. Or you can go make a TikTok video this afternoon. That's fine. That's the one where you dance, right? I don't even know. But you can go make a TikTok video. Dance like... like Nobody's watching. I won't be watching. I don't know how TikTok works. But Jesus says we, he, he came to set us free from religiosity and to, and, and to require people to, to do things he, he didn't command us is to, to try and put new wine in old wineskin. And that's quite an old illustration. I don't know that any of us pick up on it right away. But, but so, so let me explain. First, first century, uh, the, the first century world that Jesus lived in when you put wine into a wineskin, the, the wine would, would expand as, as, as it fermented further, and that would expand uh, and stretch the wineskin. 
And if it's a new wineskin, that's fine because it, it has the ability, the, the room to stretch. But an old wineskin had already stretched. So if you put new wine into it, as the wine expanded, the, the skin wouldn't, wouldn't have room to expand anymore and it would, it would burst. It wouldn't have any more capacity. See, Jesus is saying he's, he's bringing something new. A new wine, a new covenant. And it looks and acts different from, from some aspects of the old. So we have to, to look and act different ourselves. And there's a seeming contradiction here, isn't there? In, in, in that Jesus, doesn't Jesus call us to obedience? Doesn't Jesus call us to be obedient to God's law, God's word, when we're following him? But how does he set us free from religiosity? What's the difference? Well, the difference is between obligation and fear versus love. It's having the confidence that in Christ our sins are forgiven and wanting to follow him and desiring to be obedient to him out of, out of a love for him that's stronger than, than any other love or affection that we feel in our hearts. Versus trying to, to show how sorry we are and how good we are and that Jesus should love us and shower us with his mercy and grace because we have achieved a certain level of righteousness. It's a big difference, isn't it? It's the motive of love versus fear. Jesus says, I came that, and, and that's a reason to celebrate because I came to make you new, to free you from your sins, to free you from, from uh, for, to, to, to love and to, to serve others, to free you to, from, from the things that we think we have to do to be made right with God. I've, I've freed you from your guilt, your shame, and your fear. Can we really take Jesus seriously if he claims to forgive sins? if he dines with, with sinners, and if he ends religious practices that, that make us feel good. Matthew says he's, he's the only one who, who we should take seriously because only God himself could do these things. If you want true freedom, then the only answer is to turn to Jesus and to let him do his healing work in your heart, to trust him, to follow him, and to live as new people in the light of his grace. Let us pray.